thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the June 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Louis Kasuth, Mason and Apostle of World Democracy, written by David Kruger, 33rd Degree. Louis Kasuth, the Hungarian patriot and Mason, was ever the stalwart champion of the spiritual, moral, social, and political ideals which serve as the core of the democratic ideal. One of the joys of living in or near Washington, D.C. is the opportunity to meet people from all nations of the world. Over the years, friends from a wide variety of countries have helped me understand mankind's universal pursuit of personal liberty and national freedom. Everywhere and always, man has sought to liberate himself from the yoke of spiritual, political, and economic tyranny. Almost invariably in Western culture, this impetus has been advanced by Freemasonry. Only recently, for instance, a good friend of mine, knowing my lifelong dedication to Freemasonry, excitedly showed me a book she had discovered while visiting her homeland, Hungary. To her amazement, many of the great men who had labored to free her country from Austrian, Russian, and other political dominations had been Freemasons. The most prominent of these was Lajos, or Luis, Kasuth, 1802-1894. His life is an eloquent, dramatic testimony to Freemasonry and its influence for good on the world scene in the 19th century. As early as 1837, Brother Kasuth, then aged 35, was imprisoned by the Austrian government on political charges. During his three years in prison, he taught himself English, and upon his release, he became the editor of a prominent Hungarian daily newspaper, Pesti Herlop. The publication became a forum for his liberal views and made a major influence on the public, leading to significant constitutional changes as a result of the bloodless revolution in Hungary in March 1848. Kasuth was made Minister of Finance in the first Hungarian government, which was responsible to an elected parliament. When Habsburg Camarilla repealed the new laws and sent an army to crush Hungary, Kasuth raised a defense force which defeated and expelled the invaders by May 1849. The Hungarian parliament dethroned the Habsburg dynasty in 1849 and elected Kasuth governor of the country. All that prompted the Russian Tsar, the leading member of the Unholy Alliance, to dispatch 300,000 soldiers to help his imperial brother, Francis Joseph. That intervention settled the fate of an independent Hungary. On August 11, 1849, Kasuth fled first to Turkey, where he was under government supervision for a year, and then to England. The fame of his cause circled the globe, and the United States pressed for his release, even sending the USS Mississippi to bring him to London. Greeted there as a hero of liberty, Kasuth campaigned for Hungarian freedom at every opportunity. His military bearing and oratorical ability won audiences to his cause, and in 1851, he journeyed to America, where he saw as the birthplace of modern liberty. Reflective of the popularity he enjoyed, Kasuth was greeted as freedom's angel by the famous American writer Ralph Waldo Emerson, who welcomed him to Concord, Massachusetts. Horace Greeley, the famed journalist, called Kasuth a leader of the first rank, and the poet John Greenleaf Whittier hailed him as 
the noblest guest the old world's wrong has given to the new world of the West. Little wonder that a monumental statue of Kasuth, according to its inscription, was erected by a liberty-loving race of Americans of Magyar origin to Luis Kasuth, the great champion of liberty, on Riverside Drive in New York City. Kasuth was the first foreigner after Lafayette to be invited to address both houses of Congress in January 1851. Speaking everywhere to large audiences, Kasuth traveled throughout the United States and was naturally drawn to Freemasonry. In 1851, he wrote an extraordinary letter to Brother Ferdinand Bodman, Worshipful Master of Lodge No. 133, Cincinnati, Ohio. He wrote, To the Worshipful Master, Wardens and Brethren of Cincinnati Lodge No. 133 of Free and Accepted Masons, the petition of the subscriber respectfully showeth that having long entertained a favorable opinion of your ancient institutions, he is desirous of being admitted as a member thereof if found worthy. Being an exile for liberty's sake, he has now no fixed place of residence, is now staying in Cincinnati. His age is 49 and a half years. His occupation is to restore his native land, Hungary, to its national independence and to achieve by community of action with other nations, civil and religious liberty in Europe. The petition made the case of emergency, and the very next day, February 19, 1852, Kasuth, along with four members of his group, Colonel Count Gregory Bethlen, Peter A. Nagy, Paul Hajnik and Julius Utasi Strasser were initiated, passed to Fellowcraft, and then raised as Master Masons the following day. Today, Kasuth's Certificate of Masonic Lodge membership is preserved in the Hungarian National Archives. During his speaking tour of America, Brother Kasuth made it a point, whenever possible, to speak to the brethren of at least one of the lodges in the city he was visiting. For instance, he spoke to Center City Lodge No. 23, Indianapolis, Indiana, and to St. John's Lodge No. 1, Newark, New Jersey. Also on May 10, 1852, he addressed the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, saying, It will be the great aim and effort of my life to walk worthy of the character of a Mason and to fulfill the Masonic duties which devolve accordingly to his ability and rank upon every member of our noble institution. Such was Kasuth's popularity in America and worldwide that in Mississippi a town was named after him as there were two lodges, now disbanded in New York, one in Argentina, and four in Hungary before Freemasonry was prohibited in 1920 and again in 1950 by Soviet communists. Today, however, Hungary is at last the free nation Brother Kasuth envisioned, and there are eight lodges, seven in the capital of Budapest and one in Szeged. There is also a Supreme Council, 33rd degree, of the Scottish Rite for Hungary, led by illustrious Peter Cosma, 33rd degree. Unfortunately, Brother Kasuth passed away in exile long before this rebirth of Freemasonry and freedom in his homeland. After his year in America, he returned to England, traveled throughout Europe, especially Italy, and died in Turin in 1894. Brother Louis Kasuth will always be honored in Hungary and among Freemasons everywhere, for he truly deserves the title of the Washington of Hungary. Similarly, Americans honor Louis Kasuth, and there is a bust of him in one of the doorways of the United States Capitol, which was dedicated by Congress on March 15, 1990. It bears the inscription, Kasuth, 1802-1894, Father of Hungarian Democracy, Hungarian Statesman, Freedom Fighter, 1848-1849. The following article is from Encyclopedia.com, and we're going to learn a little bit more about Lajos Kossuth or Louis Kossuth. Lajos Kossuth, Hungarian politician and statesman. 
Lajos, or Louis Kossuth, is perhaps the most esteemed leader in Hungarian history and one of the least respected in the neighboring countries of Europe. This was because he attempted to combine a liberal reformist program with activist nationalism. Kossuth was born a Lutheran on September 19, 1802 at Monach in Zemplin County, which lies in the northeastern corner of post-1918 diminished Hungary. His ancient but by no means wealthy noble family originated from Turok County in modern northern Slovakia. Like all nobles, the Kasus belonged to an exclusive Nadio Hungarica, which denoted status and privilege more than nationality. Kasuth later found his life mission in elevating the rest of the country's inhabitants, some 90% of the total population, to the legal and political status of the Nacio Hungarica. He also hoped to turn them into Hungarian patriots and, if possible, Hungarian speakers. Yet even his own mother was a German speaker from the neighboring Zipser German settlement. A lawyer in the service of one of Hungary's great landowning families, Kasuth's father became impoverished and unemployed, yet Lajos received an education befitting a member of the nobility. Latin, then still the language of administration, politics, as well as education in Hungary, and law, which among other things qualified one for office in the 50-odd noble-run county administrations. Kasuth assumed his first official role in 1827 in his native Zemplin County, efficiently fighting a cholera epidemic, among other things, but in 1832 he had to leave his position because of a scandal involving the misappropriation of funds. Ironically, it was this incident in which he seems to have been guilty of at least negligence that catapulted him into national politics his liberal patrons having sent him to represent an absentee aristocrat in national diet. Once there, Kasuth defied censorship by writing his own dietal or parliamentary reports, which students copied by hand and which were widely distributed. He thus became one of the first noblemen to earn a living as a journalist, an endeavor made possible by his talent and the political ferment in the country. Journalist and Politician Nominally, Hungary was a sovereign country at that time, to be governed according to its own laws by the king in concert with the nobility. The trouble was that the king was also emperor of Austria, with manifold interests in Europe, and that the Natio Hungarica preferred the politics of grievances to much-needed economic, social, and administrative reforms. The Diet, meeting at Pozonsky or Pressburg, Bratislava, close to Vienna, served mainly as an intermediary between the absolutist court and the restive county administrations that felt entitled not to execute laws and decrees that, in their opinion, violated the nation's ancient constitution. It was the stalemate between king and nobility that prompted members of the famous reform generation to devise diverse modernization programs, such as Count Istvan Sechny's call for economic and technological progress, Baron Miklos Wislenli's and later Kosu's preference for creating first a sense of nationality in the population, Baron Joseph Eotvos' advocacy of educational reform, as well as administrative centralization, and Ferenc Dijk's insistence on the overhauling of the country's archaic judicial practices. And the quote here, Gentlemen, in ascending the tribune to demand of you to save our country, the awful magnificence of the moment weighs oppressively on my bosom, I feel as if God had placed into my hands the trumpet to arouse the dead, that if still sinners and weak, they may not relapse into eternal death, but that they may wake for eternity, if any vigor of life be yet in them. Thus at this moment stands the fate of the nation. Gentlemen, what I meant to say is that this request on the part of the government ought not to be considered as a vote of confidence. No, we ask for your vote for the preservation of the country. 
And I would ask you gentlemen, if anywhere in the country a breast sighs for liberation or a wish waits for fulfillment, let the breast suffer for a while. Let that wish have a little patience until we have saved the country. This is my request. You have all risen to a man, and I bow before the nation's greatness. If your energy equals your patriotism, I will make bold to say that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against Hungary. And there's another little note there that between the first part of that and the second part, there's about 6,000 words, so it was a very long speech. The above are the beginning and the end of Louis Kossuth's great speech in Parliament on July 11, 1848, where he asked for 40,000 forints for the defense of the country. It is quoted as note 9 in the appendix of William H. Stiles' Austria in 1848-49. Stiles was the U.S. charge in Vienna at the time and sympathetic to the cause of Kossuth. The text contains a few corrections by Istvan Dijk based on the original Hungarian. First, a very junior partner among the greats, Kossuth gradually assumed more importance by controlling a part of public opinion. When the session of the Diet ended in 1836, he turned to writing and editing the municipal reports, which dealt with the work of the county assemblies. In 1837, he was arrested and charged with disloyalty and sedition. He spent three years in jail, which not only allowed him to learn the basis of his later magnificent English, but also made him a national martyr. Hoping to tame the fierce agitator Chancellor Prince Clemens von Metternich, now allowed Kossuth to edit the newspaper Pesti Herlep. Yet by 1844, when he was finally removed from his post, Kossuth had brought the country closer to revolution and had incidentally also done much for the rejuvenation of the Hungarian language. In 1841, Kossuth married Therese Meslazeni, a Catholic gentlewoman whom Kossuth's admirers tended to dislike, but who remained loyal to her husband until her death in Italian exile in 1865. They had a daughter and two sons. Of the two, Ferenc would become an influential politician, less because of his talent than because of his name. Of Kossuth's relations with his wife, next to nothing is known, just as little is known of the friendships and private passions of this eminently political person. As political life heated up and politicians chose between calling themselves liberals or conservatives, personal differences also came to the fore. The most famous of these differences was that between Szechny and Kossuth, the first a titled aristocrat, wealthy, well-traveled, moody, and darkly pessimistic, the second without any land to his name, with no personal knowledge of the world, but supremely self-confident, Szechny wanted Hungary to be rich and its society cultured. He did much to improve banking, transportation, and culture and only then truly sovereign, but still under the aegis of the beneficial Austrian connection. Kossuth recognized the importance of all this, but felt that without genuine sovereignty, nothing could be achieved. This especially because he felt the need to control and to convert the ethnic minorities, Germans, Slovaks, Ruthenes, Romanians, and Serbs, who together made up about 60% of the population. No longer an editor, Kossuth sought success and livelihood in heading various voluntary associations, such as those concerning maritime development and the defense of trade and industry. Once a passionate free trader, he now advocated tariff barriers even against Austria so as to enable Hungary to develop its own industry. In 1847, Kossuth became the leader of the lower house's main opposition party. Early in 1848, the news of revolutionary agitation in Italy and Paris threatened to ruin the monarchy's shaky finances. This alerted Kossuth to the possibility of wresting concessions from the advisors in the court of Ferdinand I, the retarded king-emperor. On March 3rd, Kossuth proposed in the Diet the emancipation of the serfs and the appointment of a government responsible to the parliament. The speech inspired the Viennese to make their revolution on March 13th and young intellectuals in Budapest to proceed to their bloodless revolution on March 15th. 
besieged by his own subjects who all wanted change while professing loyalty to his person, and under attack by the king of Piedmont, Sardinia, and northern Italy, Ferdinand was ready to surrender to all. On April 7, 1848, Hungary was granted its own government with Kossuth as finance minister and Szczecny as minister of public works and transport. The new constitution transformed the country, at least in theory, into a modern liberal state with even a degree of control over the monarchy's military and foreign affairs. In all this and more, Kossuth had been the driving force. And then there's a quote, I have just signed my death sentence. My head will certainly land on the block. I shall be hanged with Kossuth. And that's a diary entry by Count Istvan Sechnion, March 23, 1848, upon accepting the post of Minister of Public Works and Transport in the newly formed constitutional government in which Count Lejos Bathanyi was the head and Kossuth Minister of Finance. Even though Kossuth called Sechny the greatest Hungarian, the two were bitter political opponents. Quoted in Georgi Spira, a Hungarian count in the Revolution of 1848, translated by Thomas Land, translation revised by Richard E. Allen, Budapest, 1974. From minister to dictator to constitutional governor, president. All would have been well had Croatia, a subordinate kingdom, not asked for the same rights that Hungary had achieved, and had the self-appointed leaders of the different ethnic minorities not demanded recognition of their natural group, national groups. While willing to grant Croatia complete autonomy on the basis of its historic privileges, Kossuth and his colleagues rejected the demands of the ethnic minorities by arguing that Hungary, which had just recently replaced corporate and territorial privilege with the rights of the individual, could not possibly grant new territorial and group autonomies. In June, Serbs revolted in southern Hungary. In July, Kossuth, as Minister of Finance, announced in one of his most memorable speeches that Hungary would raise funds to finance its own army while denying funds to the king for the defense of his possessions in Italy. On September 6th, Kossuth issued the first illegal Hungarian banknotes. Five days later, the Vienna-appointed governor of Croatia invaded Hungary with his troops. Whether or not at the orders of the court remains unclear. In order to avoid open confrontation with the king and the new liberal Austrian cabinet, the government of Count Lejos Bathanyi resigned, but Kossuth and one other minister remained at their post. A few days later, the recently constituted parliament appointed Kossuth head of the so-called National Defense Committee with extensive wartime rights. Kossuth used his extraordinary oratorical abilities and his talent as an administrator to create an army, which was badly needed because following the attack by Serbs and Croats, many Romanians also revolted, and in December the imperial army itself invaded Hungary. At first, defeat after defeat plagued the motley Hungarian army of ex-regulars and unreliable volunteers, forcing Kossuth and the parliament to flee from Budapest to eastern Hungary. But then the Hungarians used their administrative expertise to raise and equip an army of conscripts that in the spring of 1849 beat back the Austrians. On April 14, 1849, a triumphant parliament in Deprekin proclaimed the dethronement of the House of Habsburg-Lorraine and elected Kossuth governor-president. The Declaration of Independence drafted by Kossuth dealt mainly with Hungary's historic grievances, proving again that he was no revolutionary. Making Kossuth governor-president must be judged a mistake, in part because the virtual dictator thereby became a sort of constitutional monarch, and in part because the declaration forced the European governments to take a stand. None recognized the new state, and the British especially made clear that a strong Habsburg monarchy was a European necessity. General Arthur Gorgay, who was Kossuth's brilliant young military commander, had not even completed the reconquest of Budapest when Tsar Nicholas I announced his decision to rush to the aid of Emperor Francis Joseph I 
against what Nicholas insisted on seeing as a bunch of near-communist rebels. The Hungarians proved powerless against a resurgent Austrian army, which was supported by most of the nationalities in the Habsburg monarchy and against a huge Russian invasion force. No sooner had Kossuth made his triumphant entry to the Hungarian capital than he was forced to flee to southeastern Hungary, where the last battles of the War of Independence were to be fought. As a final noble gesture, at the end of July, Parliament adopted a law giving more rights to the ethnic minorities and another guaranteeing the Jews complete legal equality. Following a last devastating defeat, Kossuth resigned as governor-president and appointed Gorgi dictator of Hungary. On August 11th, the general surrendered his troops to the Russians. A few days later, Kossuth and his entourage fled to Turkish territory. As soon as he was abroad, however, he again began using the title of governor-president and accused Gorgi of treason. In exile. The Ottoman government, no matter how sympathetic, was forced by Russian and Austrian pressure to assign Kossuth an involuntary resident in Kyotathia, Asia Minor. While most of the refugees returned to Hungary, Kossuth benefited from multiple invitations to visit United Kingdom and the United States. He was fated as the champion of liberty and the great emancipator. His visit to the United States in 1851 and 1852 resembled a triumphant march, while orators, including the future President Abraham Lincoln, called him the Hungarian George Washington. Everywhere he went, including an appearance at the joint session of the U.S. Congress, he delivered dazzling speeches in English that were to serve as teaching material in the field of rhetoric for many years to come. But he was unable either to raise funds for an army of liberation or to persuade the United States to intervene in the affairs of Europe. Back in England, he was fated again and negotiated with heads of state, but his only opportunity to return to Hungary in 1859 on the coattails of the French army ended abruptly when Napoleon III concluded an armistice with the defeated Austrian emperor. What put a complete end to his dreams was, however, the Compromise Agreement of 1867, in which Hungarians decided to share power with the German-Austrians in the multinational so-called dual monarchy. Kossuth had warned against an agreement that would tie Hungary to the fate of the Habsburg dynasty, but the Hungarians no longer listened to him, least of all the leaders of the Kossuth party, who became more and more expansionist and chauvinistic. While in exile, Kossuth devised various plans for a Central European Federation, but such ideas could have no chance of success in an age of heightened nationalism. In old age, Kossuth spoke up repeatedly against liberal, illiberal politics and especially against anti-Semitism. His main occupation in Torino, Italy was, however, to receive delegations of admirers, to write his voluminous memoirs, and to edit his invaluable papers, which filled dozens of volumes. He would not return to Hungary while his archenemy, Francis Joseph I, was king. He died in Torino on March 20, 1894, at the age of 92, and was buried in Budapest in the presence of millions. Today, there is no settlement in Hungary without a Kossuth Square or a Kossuth Street. The Kossuth cult has never abated. His name is on the lips of every politician, although he, the left, especially the communist, had tried to monopolize his historic heritage. No doubt he gave hope to the poor, especially peasants, and he opened the way to the modernization of his country, but he also burdened the shoulder of his compatriots with the dilemma of unrealized national ambitions. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.